important, before we go too far, to, to highlight a few things, and then uh, I'll crack on and we'll, we'll look at the Word of God. So I, I want to start off just by saying, hopefully, some, some very obvious things that you know. So the first one is that joy isn't the same as happiness. Yeah? So happiness depends on what happens. They come from the same word, right? So happiness depends on what happens to us. Joy isn't dependent on what happens to us. Okay? So it is perfectly correct that when life gets difficult, you are sad at times. Yeah? That's not the same as not being full of joy. Okay, now we'll explore a bit about what that means. But it's perfectly right that when things like Chloe going to hospital comes up, that we respond to that as God designed us to. It's, we're to be sad about it. That's to drive us to him. That's to, that's to lead us into prayer with him. Okay? Likewise, it's perfectly okay that when something good happens, like being given a Mars bar, it makes us a bit happy. Yeah? Now, if I didn't get a Mars bar and all I had was one of those disgusting Snickers, if I'd based my joy on that, I, would, I might have gone home today being pretty miserable and, and lacking in joy because of a Snickers, right? So we all know these things, we also know that actually the pursuit of happiness that, that the world does try to tell us should be our aim, the pursuit of happiness isn't always the best thing for us. And to use a fairly horrid analogy, uh, if, if happiness is what it's all about, the moment that a child finds something dangerous, like a gun they might be incredibly happy until they pull the trigger. Happiness shouldn't be our pursuit, right? Joy, and we're going to explore what joy means, should be our aim here, okay? Second up, I just want to remind you of what Owen talked about last week. So he, he kicked off this series about fruit, and he's changed the slide now. It says summer fruit, not summer fruits. What, what I'm going to talk to you about today is joy, but that's just one facet of the fruit of the Spirit. All of the fruits are things that will grow within you. Sorry, all of the fruit <laughs> are things that will grow within you. Okay. So as we focus in on one, I'm trusting that others will grow as well within each of us. I think the same every week as, as we talk. But I want to crack on, because today I want to preach through an entire book of the Bible. So uh, those of you that uh, <laughs> have heard me preach might be starting to panic. Feel free to keep tapping your watch, okay? I will go through it at quite a pace. But we're going to turn to Philippians. Now this book is uh, a book all about joy, and say, so I want us to grasp that. I want us to see that. This is Paul's last uh, letter to a church. Okay? It's the last one that we have. Now, he did write to Titus and Timothy afterwards. But, but after this, at least in terms of our Bible, this is 
the last time he wrote to the church until he turns his attention on to training up the next generation, right, with Titus and Timothy. So we want to look at this and we want to see what is he trying to get at out of this. And to do that, I want to whistle through, and and I could spend ages on each one of these points, but I'm just going to go fast. All I'm doing is running through a book of the Bible going, what does this say about joy? And the reason why I just say that is because I want you guys to feel encouraged to go home and to do this yourselves. Grab, it's four chapters, it's not a big book. Have a look, every time it says joy or rejoice, what are you saying out of this? Because I'm only going to be able to give you a little bit over the next however long I take, okay? Now, so I'm only going to pull out one or two things from each time that that he talks about joy. Uh, We're not going to talk about the whole Uh, We're not going to cover the whole book in detail, okay? I am going to focus in at one point on on one of the chapters, but we'll go quick, okay? So let's start off with chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. But it's more than that. I think that the next verse that he says is, is really what he's basing this on, and it's why we want to start here. It's why he starts here. Why? Because he is sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, that's Jesus, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul here is just starting out by saying, yeah, I might have been involved in planting this church. He was. I might have been, uh, you might have been with me for a while preaching the gospel and, and, and bringing your partnership. But actually, the thing that brings me joy is knowing that it's Jesus it's Jesus who is doing the good work in you. It's not Paul. It's not us doing a good work here. It's not us calling people to ourselves. This, this is about us saying Jesus is the one who can bring you life to the full. He's the one who can do that good work within you. I said I'd be quick, so I'm not going to go any longer on that. But, but let's look at verse 12 now. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me, so I should have said Paul here is writing, you know, we're talking about happiness and and joy not being based on what's going on with you. Paul is writing this from prison, right? He's writing a letter all about the joy that he feels and that we should feel whilst under arrest, armed guards at his door. But he says what has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, 
proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul is so concerned about the gospel of God being shared, God's mission being carried out, that even his imprisonment he's excited by because it leads to more people hearing about Jesus. It leads to more people being bold about sharing their faith. So he's excited that God is about a good work, first, there's that joy, and then he's got joy that even in the bad things, Christ is preached. Even in his imprisonment, Christ is preached. I'm going to pick up at the end of verse 18. It says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, for a moment, it sounds like James, you were saying it's not about what happens to you. It sounds like Paul's starting to say, I'm, I'm going to rejoice because I'm going to be set free. But we'll see he's, he's so much more concerned about other things than he is about what goes on to him. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. He's not worried about whether he's delivered from prison. His assurance is that whether he is living or whether he is dead, there is a deliverance. In fact, he says, for me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He seems to have this choice, right? Of I can either die or I can live and keep on doing what God's doing. But if I die, that's far better. I'm convinced of this. I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. See, he's, he's got this joy that comes from being so sure that even in death, even in death, he is delivered. It's far better to die. I'm going to be with Jesus He's going to have an eternity with the one that he loves. Can you see, he is so caught up in all of this part about God's work being preached, about people seeing where they're heading. He's not caught up with his current situation. And move on into chapter 2. I'm 
on verse 2, it says, Complete my joy, this is to the church here, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This sounds like quite a tough call. Quite a lot of rules to follow. I don't know about you, I don't always look to others first and, and, and want the best for others before myself. But he goes on to say this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, Phil Moore, uh, who, who's written some great commentaries uh, on lots of the Bible, he says here, this, this verse might sound like it is a command, have this in mind. But actually, what, he's, what this is saying is, you already have this mind. It is yours because of Jesus Christ. Your mind has changed. Now, this is talking to Christians here. Okay. So if you are a Christian, this is what Jesus is doing within you. Right? This is what the Holy Spirit, these fruits of the Spirit, are doing within you. Your mind has changed to be one where you display something of Jesus to the world through the way you interact with each other. Again, I don't want to... I'm blasting through these really fast, and I know that. I'm sorry if it's hard to keep up, but, but do go and look at this for yourselves, right? Like the, uh, the fact is here, Paul is excited. He is full of joy because he can see God's work being outworked in the church. He can see people becoming more like Jesus, a bit like he started off with, that, that that good work is being brought to completion. He's so caught up with God's transforming power for us. He's so caught up that we should see something of God and of his work happening in us. Let's skip a long way down now to verse 17. He says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, uh, he's saying here, I am giving you my all. I am doing everything I can to see the advance of this gospel. I am doing absolutely everything. I am going to be poured out. This, this drink offering is, is a reference back to the Old Testament to, to where they would literally pour all of the liquid onto a sacrifice. He is saying, I am being poured out. There's nothing left that I can give you. He's gone through beatings. He's gone through imprisonment. He's gone through shipwrecks. He's given everything he possibly can to this great cause. And yet, what does he say about it? I am glad and rejoice with you all. This isn't a man caught up with what happens to him. This is a man caught up with something far greater. He sees something of far more worth than his 
well-being. I wonder who feels challenged at this point. Because <laughs> I know I do. I wonder whether, in fact, let's just, let's just pause for a minute and let's pray. Because I think, I think when you hear something like that, when you hear someone who is so caught up with the good news that they're saying, I am willing to be poured out as a drink of it. I'm willing that every part of me be used for the advance of your gospel, God. I wonder how many of us can say the same thing. And I don't want to pour condemnation on here. But if you're feeling challenged by this, let's just pause and ask God to make this word become life in us. We can't go out of here and go, right, I'm going to do this. We can't work that up in ourselves. We can only do it through he that does the good work in us. And say, Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we say we want to be used by you more. God, as I know I hold things back. I know there's things that I don't give over to you, parts of my life that I think, but I can't. I can't, I can't step out in that way. I'm too scared for whatever reason. Or I'm worried I, can't, I won't be able to succeed. I won't be able to keep going if you call me to that path. And say, God, I just say, would you come and change my heart? Would you come and change the hearts of those who are praying with me? God, we want to be used by you. We want to be so caught up with your gospel like Paul is. God, he's talked about eternity already. And we know that we have friends and family who do not know the truth, who do not know that they could head to an eternal joy with you, and yet we don't tell them. God, would you do a work in me? Would you do a work in my brothers and sisters? Would you do a work in us? where our hearts are broken afresh for them. He's talking again about this this sense of God on mission. God has used him. God is using him. He is excited to be used. He is full of joy at the idea of being used for this mission. And then we have this interesting little story. I'm not going to read all of it, but, but this, this man, Epaphroditus, who actually helped plant the, Philipp, the church in Philippi, um, he is, uh, he, he's been ill. And it says, indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on, on me also, 
lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honour such men. There's this moment where Paul suddenly turns from this God on mission about the gospel to talking about a man who has been healed, a good friend of theirs, someone they all know. He he was a leader in this church. So uh, uh, Paul was was close to him, and the church would have been close to him too. But but he talks about rejoicing in this man being healed. (laughs) Paul says he he was healed so that Paul wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow. We're talking here about actually, let's not over-spiritualize this concept of joy. It is absolutely right to take joy and to feel joy when you've seen God act in a situation. It is absolutely right when there is some practical blessing that is poured out that that feeds your joy. But everything that we've read so far shows us that our joy that we might feel there can't be based on those things. Because what happens when Epaphroditus dies? I don't want to break this to you very... uh, I can't really break it very gently, but Epaphroditus has now died, okay? So, like, what happens to our joy at that point if it's based on healings and God doesn't heal? If it's based on something good happening, but then something bad happens? What happens to our joy? And so I want you to hear this. It is perfectly right to have joy in something that has happened. But it's not okay for us to place joy in something that that we have no guarantee of. I'm going to move on, because I want to stay in here. Paul so far has talked about God on mission and what he's up to. He's talked about being full of joy for God being on that mission. Now he takes a a change. And he starts this this chapter 3 with finally. This is like his his key points that he wants to bring across. Okay, so I want to stay a little bit longer on these next two. Okay, so I've whistled through just trying to get you to see that Paul is caught up with something much bigger than himself. And we're going to go through all of chapter 3. So finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write these same things to you is no trouble for me, and it is safe for you. I'm going to say it again and again and again. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. That's what he's saying. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Let me just pause and and unpack that slightly. Look out for the dogs and for the evildoers, for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul is specifically talking here to people that want to add something to the gospel, that want to say you should be circumcised if you want to become a Christian. You should be circumcised just like the Jewish people always have been. Now, uh, 
we've heard about this recently, so I'm not going to spend too long on it. But the, he, he is here saying, don't, don't listen. And in fact, he goes on. Having said that he puts no confidence in the flesh, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. If anyone else, uh, sorry, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul is saying he is the Jew of Jews, the Hebrew of Hebrews. He's not just one of the Israelites. He's one of the tribes that came from Rachel, the special wife, not ugly Leah. He's got more reason to boast than any other person. He was a Pharisee. He didn't just follow the law. He took it as far as you could take it. As to proving it, well, he went after the church because they were saying something other than the law that he wanted them to follow. So is that where Paul bases his joy? In the law? in the good deeds that he did, in following the rules and regulations. Let's see what he says. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as Rubbish. He actually uses a much, much stronger word than rubbish, but our translators care about not offending us too much, so uh, they don't swear in here. But Paul swears at this point. He describes it as dog poo, dog muck. These things are disgusting. These rules and regulations are disgusting. in order that I may gain Christ. Compared to knowing God, following rules, compared to knowing Christ, following rules is disgusting, it's dog muck, it's, it's foul, it sticks to you and it contaminates you. But to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul here is saying, we can try and follow rules, but they don't bring us life. We can try and live the best we can, but they don't bring us life. 
They don't bring us to God. They don't bring us to a God that loves us and wants to know us. They don't bring us to someone that died on our behalf that we might be given his righteousness and not our own. They don't bring us to one where we can then say by any means possible and may attain the resurrection from the dead. Jesus, this righteous one, has given us his righteousness. Not based on who we are, not based on how we, which family we're born into, not based on, on how hard we've strived to follow the rules, not based on whether we have, have achieved anything, not based on whether we have done everything that we said we would ever do for him based on our faith and on his righteousness. I don't know about you, but that feels like something worth putting my joy, attaching my joy to, right? Jesus Christ has done everything I ever need to do to attain resurrection from the dead. (laughs) This is good news. But then he brings this warning. And I want us to hear this as well, because we can hear God has, has done everything on our behalf, and yet that can make us go, therefore, do we need to not do anything now? And on the one hand, it's very true. You just need to believe, and you'll be saved. But on the other hand, if we just stop there, then I think we're going to drift, right? And this is the warning that Paul is bringing. In fact, I might, I might skip on slightly, so we'll, 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 we'll kind of, I'll summarize 12 to 16. He's saying, he, he's going to keep going. We need to keep pushing on. We need to press on to these things. Keep believing them. Keep reminding yourself of them. And then he says, brothers, join in imitating me, verse 17, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. This is the bit we need to hear. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, if that first group that he talked about were the group that, that were the dogs who were preaching that they needed to, to do something else to be saved, this group is saying, hey, do whatever you want. You can go and pursue happiness. You could read their God is their belly as, as, 
they follow the desires of their flesh. They, they follow the things that they want. They follow whether that is uh, they just want to eat more or they want to uh, drink more or they want to consume more drugs or they want to have more sex or they want to do whatever they can to try and somehow get more happiness. That's this group. And neither following the law and adding to what Jesus has done nor following these things brings joy. We're, we're stood in a climbing centre, right? We're, we're here. Now, I would say that a lot of people that come in this place, would their, their God is their belly, would, would read out as they are so concerned with, with being fit enough and healthy enough they're so concerned with making sure that their, their physique is exactly as they want it to be. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying any of these things, eating and drinking and, and, and sex and all of these things are good, right? But not when they're held up as our God. Keeping fit is good, right? But not when that's what we're basing our joy in. When we do that, what happens when we can't stay fit? What happens uh, when suddenly you reach an age that maybe sex isn't an option anymore? What happens when suddenly food doesn't quite have that same drive? In fact, you've realised that food is making you... Uh, uh, either you don't want to eat it or you want to eat too much of it when it's become something you don't have control over. What happens when these things stop being fun? And Paul here is saying, don't fall into the trap of basing your joy and, and basing your life on these things. He says they have their minds set on earthy things, but then he says what well, we should have our minds set on and remind ourselves. We're not called to those things because we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And he says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand in the Lord. Have your eyes fixed on God. Have your eyes fixed on that, that citizenship of heaven that we are heading to. See, when you see our citizenship as being in heaven, when you see that as being our true home, it's hard to get excited about things that are going to cease one day. Suddenly you see your health and you see your, your food and God's, God, uh, you see these things that have become bigger than they should be in the right light. You see them as things that are going to pass away. 
And if they don't pass away while you're alive, they'll certainly pass away when you die. Paul's joy is not based on his own accomplishments and it's not based on anything other than Jesus Christ. He's excited. He's full of joy for where he is heading. He's a citizen of heaven. And if you believe that Jesus has died on your behalf, so are you. Don't get caught up with what's going on here. Don't let that be what what your joy is based on. Let those things affect your happiness, that's fine. But not your joy. Your joy goes deeper, right? Chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You getting this? He's saying rejoice, 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 rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then he gives the reason why the Lord is at hand. So yes, we can be excited. We can be full of joy because we're going to be citizens of heaven because that is what we're called to. But actually, we are already near God. He is with us. He is at hand. I I, I don't know about you, but, but knowing that in any situation, whether good or bad, God is with me, is incredibly reassuring and helps me to, to have joy in all of them. I think, uh, just to, let's just, again, I'm sorry, I wasn't going to show this. Uh, for me, one of the worst times there's been several really tough times for me individually. Now, those times have been bad for different reasons, but one of the worst times and the one that's just come to mind is my mum, uh, this was, uh, I'm trying to think now, three years ago, had a brain aneurysm and, and was basically in intensive care. She was incredibly close to death. She'd stopped responding to any kind of... Uh, um, uh, what's the what's the word? Um, any stimulus, any kind of stimulus at all, other than the most extreme stimulus, which is pain. And so they they need to check these these people who are basically just out of it in a in a, a comatose state uh, for for reaction to see where they're at. And the only way that they could do that with my mum was was through pain and sitting there by my mum's side as they hurt her to get a reaction. That's sorrow, right? The healthy reaction there is to grieve, right? But the joy, even as she sat there, of being able to sit by my mother, reading the Bible over her, the joy of knowing that no matter what happened to her, that she knows her Father in heaven, 
that whether she died in that moment or what actually happened, happened, which is she was miraculously healed, whichever way it happened, to know that I would one day see her in heaven. That was joy, right? That's why those times meant my my faith wasn't rocked at any moment through it. In fact, I was driven to prayer, yeah, with tears. I was crying out, and I was saying, God, this isn't fair. Why is mum there? Why does she have to go through this? But God, your will be done. God, you are the one that I trust. You are the one that I trust. will work this out for good in whatever way you want. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. Not having a faith and a joy so based on what is happening but based on what God is at work doing in this world, beyond you, a faith based on, a joy so based on what he has already achieved for you through dying on that cross. Through dying and yet being resurrected. A faith that as he says further on, I'm going to skip, the, the slide will come up, I'm sure, but, but I'm going to bounce around a little bit and, and move through it. A faith that says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is not Paul saying, I am going to be this superhero because I've got super strength. He's saying, even in those rubbish times, I can do them because Christ has strengthened me. So whether the good times come, Epaphroditus was healed. My mum was healed. That's good times. I rejoice in it. Or when the bad times come, Epaphroditus dies. Unless Jesus comes back, my mum will die. At those moments... I want to be able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My joy is based on him and him alone. In verse 19, Paul kind of starts to wrap this up with this joy in a God who will supply every need of yours according to to your actions according to how good you've been? No. According to to how happy you are? No. According to anything that you've achieved? No. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so I just want to pray for us as, as we wrap up. God, I thank you that we can have a joy 
not based on what is going on right now.